Praise the Lord. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as their face were, were, there were afraid, and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Praise the Lord, we serve a risen Savior this morning. What a joy. This morning we deal with the name of Jesus. Now look, the name of Jesus is not like another name. This name that we deal with is a name that is above every other name. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. This name is not like other names that you say. This name is not like other names that you hear. This name is a different name. As a matter of fact, this name is speaking of one who is a risen Savior this morning. This Savior that we speak of, this is a saving name that we deal with this morning. Acts chapter number 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Romans 10, 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and that thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me or unto the Father but by me. This is a saving name this morning that we're going to deal with here in just a few moments. This is not just a saving name, but it's a precious name. In First Peter chapter number two, the Bible says in verse number seven, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Unto you which believe, he is precious. It's a powerful name. John 16, verse number 23, the Bible says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye ask, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have ye asked me, ask nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. It's a powerful name. It's a comforting name. Matthew 1, verse number 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A comforting name, but it's an exalting name. Philippians 2, verse number 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Last night I was texting my brother-in-law for just a few moments, and we were talking about the messages that we'd be preaching and this morning we woke up and some pictures were sent in the family, in the family chat of Resurrection Sunday and everyone going to church and what a joy that is. And yesterday as we were talking for just a few moments, I was trying to call some of them and check in and see what was going on and what they were preaching on. And my brother-in-law texted back and said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to wrap up tomorrow's message. I'll, I'll call later. And I said, the message ought to be simple. He is risen. And I wonder this morning if we've gotten over that right there. You see, we come to the house of God on Easter Sunday every single year and we, we want the message to be preached, but we, we come and we listen to the preaching of God's Word and we talk about a risen Savior and then we walk out as though, is He really risen? Is He really alive? This morning as we come to the Word of God and we come to Luke chapter number 23 and we walk through chapter number 23, there's so much that is taking place. 
In chapter number 22, if you're familiar, you come right after Peter has just denied the Lord three times and Judas has just betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you imagine with me for just a few moments, chapter number 22, it closes in a dark way, if you would, just the betrayal and the denial, and you're thinking, man, everything that's going on here, it's saddening to see. Chapter number 23, you come to a portion of Scripture and you begin to read chapter number 23 and you begin to see that, man, the build-up here. Jesus is going to begin to, to be accused of some things. He's going to go on and be led into trial. He's going to go on and live on the cross for a few hours and He's going to die and He's going to be buried. He's going to be in a tomb. In chapter number 23, if that was where you would stop, you'd begin to just wonder. And if you were to read daily and you were reading for the first time the Bible and you never read it before, you come to chapter number 22 and you come to chapter number 23 and you're thinking, man, where's the hope? Chapter number 24, you come to chapter number 24 and you begin to see in verse number 6, He is not here, but is risen. And this morning, we're going to walk through for just a few moments chapter number 23, and I want to lay a foundation of what is taking place. And if you've gotten over the resurrection of Jesus Christ, can I, can I encourage you to join me on the path of reading chapter number 23 to re-familiarize with the joy and the hope that we have in a resurrected Savior. You see, there, there, there's religion all across this world. Matter of fact, I've had multiple people over the course of years ask, why is there so many different religions? And you go on and you begin to study those different religions and you begin to see that the gods that those religions worship are gods that are still in the grave, that are still buried, that are still dead. But you see, we as Christians, we get to come to the house of God on a resurrection Sunday, on an Easter Sunday, and we don't have to come and say, man, I wish our God was alive. No, the Word of God is clear that He is risen. He is alive this morning. We'll rejoice in that. As I was leading the song with the choir for just a few moments, it took everything in me not just to burst out in tears as I began to think that we do get to serve a risen Savior. As I looked up into the choir and could see that some of those that were singing were struggling themselves because, man, when you sit back and you think about that, the hope that it brings. I remember the moment that I was sitting in church camp and, and understood that, hey, I had to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He's forever changed my life. Forever changed my life. Chapter number 23, look with me there if you would. The Bible starts out in verse number 1 of chapter number 23, and we'll walk briefly through all of this and kind of lay a foundation. If you're here this morning and you've never really heard of the, the, the coming events of chapter number 23 and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the burial and then the resurrection, I pray that you will have a greater understanding after this morning. The Bible says, And the whole multitude of them arose led him unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. In this portion of Scripture, you begin to see that he was being falsely accused. The things that they are falsely saying about him is that he said that he was perverting the nation and that he forbid to give tribute and that he was calling himself Christ the king. And so they begin to falsely accuse him, and they put him on trial here. And, and in verse number 4, as you continue reading, in verse number 3 it says, And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Thou sayest it. That was Jesus Christ's way of saying, Yeah. Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. But in verse number 5, the Bible says, And they were more fierce 
saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And so in chapter number 23, you see that he was falsely accused, that, that Pilate finds no fault in this man. Later on in, in the portion of Scripture, you'll find that as we deal with this, that there comes a time when Jesus Christ gives it up. It is finished. And a series of events begin to take place, and the reactions of those who are standing there, and one of the centurions stands there and he says, Surely this was the Son of God. They knew. They understood that something was different, that there was something different about this man. There was no fault found in him. The crowd begins to become fierce. Verse number 8 and 9, you begin to see that his power begins to be questioned. And the Bible says, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, or exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of long season, because he had heard many things of him. And he had hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. The chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at nod and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate and his power being questioned here. It's an amazing thing in this portion of Scripture. If you were just to start and to stop right there, you see so much being evident in the life of Christ. Christ was humble in this moment right here. Any moment through chapter number 22, chapter number 23, you could have seen Christ saying, Oh, no, 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 I am king, and put a stop to it all. But in chapter number 23, you begin to see that he was humble. And in verses 10, 11, and 12, you begin to see once again, not only was the crowd more fierce, but they begin to be hostile in this situation. And they begin to cry out and begin to say things. And so in verse number 13, notice what takes place. And the pilot, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers, and the people said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent unto you him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. Notice verse number 18. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of him in, of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto him, them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. You see, as you begin to read this portion of Scripture, you're wondering probably, why are we reading this? This ought to be something that we rejoice in. Oh, joy is coming. 
All of this, see, had to be done. And sometimes in our own lives, we begin to take for granted just exactly what Jesus Christ truly did on the cross for us. We, we begin to say the cliche things, oh, we serve a risen Savior, and oh, yeah, he, he went on the cross, He died for our sins. No, have you really sat back and just thought, my Savior went on the cross for me. He died for my sins. As a matter of fact, at any moment, as they're, they're crying out, crucify Him, crucify Him, He could have silenced them. At any moment in that time, He could have said, hey, you hush over there. At any moment, he could have just wiggled his pinky and they would have been able to no longer talk. But he endures all this. Herod is wondering, what is going on? This man, I found no fault in him. But they still cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Why so? Because the will of God was being accomplished. In verse number 32, you come to this portion of Scripture and you see, it says, and there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and one on the, other, or the other on the left. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiments and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ and the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And it's an amazing thing. The very last thing Jesus does before he enters into the grave is lead someone to himself. And that's power right there. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You see, in this portion of Scripture right here, he would be the atonement for sins. That word atonement, it means by which payment is made for violation of God's will. This payment provides reconciliation to God. You begin to see that he had to go to this place and it had to be the provision for these, this one male factor which speaks of all that Jesus Christ was doing for all of us. It's interesting, and on the cross, Jesus Christ has one on his right and one on his left, and we still see this today, that there is one that is always going to choose Jesus... There's always going to be one that rejects Jesus. You see, this morning, maybe you've walked into a gymnasium and you're sitting in this service this morning and you're wondering, you're doubting, you're questioning, you have some things that you're trying to figure out and you say, you know what, I don't know if I were to die right now where I'd spend eternity. If I were to die right this very moment, I don't know if I'd spend eternity in heaven or hell, but I want to get that cleared up and I want to understand what you're talking about. You're talking about Jesus Christ dying on the cross and you would begin to talk about that payment and the place that He had to go to and the provision that He offers and all of that you're describing. 
You see, it's an amazing thing because in this portion of Scripture that we're reading and we're coming to chapter number 24 and the build-up in chapter number 23 is something that you look at and you say, man, all of what's taking place and you're still saying that there's hope. You see, there are people that are walking out in this world right this very moment. In chapter number 23, it's a very dark scene being set. You, you find yourself looking at those who are with Jesus and around Jesus, and it's as though that they have forgotten that hope is still coming. Matter of fact, one of the angels looks at them and says, Hey, you forgot what Jesus told you, didn't you? And we have people that are walking around every single day, and they're walking around as though they're stuck in chapter number 23. Dark. The Savior's dead. There's no hope. And can I share with you, they need some Christians who are going to point them to chapter number 24 and say, hey, hey, he's not dead, he's risen. He's not stuck in chapter number 23. He's not there still in the grave. He's not hanging on the cross any longer. No, he is not in the tomb. He is exalted and highly lifted up. He is alive today. As you come to chapter number 23, at the very end, in chapter number 24, you begin to see some things that are taking place. As Jesus hung there and died and was set for burial, I want you to imagine for just a moment those who are walking up to him. Chapter number 24, look with me for just a moment if you would. The Bible says in verse number 1, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre. I want you to think about that for just a moment. You know, the Bible goes on later and speaks of John and Peter running to the, to the tomb, and, and Peter begins to wonder. He's a little bit taken back. He's a little confused. As Jesus is about to endure the cross, and as he's on the cross and he dies, he gives up the ghost, you begin to see some of the reactions of the people that we're going to look at here in a few moments. But I want you to think about all of what is taking place and the funeral that has been said. You begin to think about all that. You see, the Jews would begin to celebrate because, hey, Jesus was out of their hair now. The, the, the centurions would begin to celebrate because their job was finally finished. They were done for the day. But Mary would not. Peter would not. The disciples would not. There was no celebration. There, there was no laughter. There was no joy in this moment for them. And as you come to that familiar portion of Scripture in chapter number seven, or in chapter number twenty-four, verse number seven, you begin to see the saying here: "The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again." This was the reminder that was being called to their attention. And as you begin to think about that, I'm reminded of the funeral that Jesus attended. If you would, for just a moment, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter number 11, because in John chapter number 11, we see a funeral that Jesus visited, and this is like the funerals of today. I can't remember who it was I was just talking to, but just a few days ago, we were talking about funerals and how and there's a difference in a, the funeral of a saved person and the funeral of an unsaved person. And the difference that is there. And in chapter number 11, you come to... The story, and in this portion of Scripture right here, you begin to see that there was a funeral taking place, and Jesus comes onto the scene. There was a very wealthy man, as a matter of fact, one time a story was being told about him, and he uh, was beginning to make arrangements for his funeral. And the arrangements that were being made for his funeral were very slim. There was not very much information. There was only one piece of instruction. The instruction was this, there will be no singing. I want you to think about this for just a few, few moments. In many cases, after a person has just passed away, you don't want to sing. Your heart is breaking. 
It's aching. There's no singing. Weeping, yes. Mourning, definitely. But singing, definitely not. And in chapter number 11, you come onto the scene and you begin to see in verse number 30, if you would, look with me. It says, Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was set, or was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews, then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. No singing, no rejoicing, to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse number 35, the Bible says Jesus wept. It's an amazing thing as you begin to think about this. These individuals have been crippled with fear. The reminder that one day death was coming, but they had forgotten some things. That while death was coming, if they had trusted in Jesus, death was not a sting. Death was not going to be something that held them, but there was just a temporary time. It was just something that was going to take place. They would spend eternity in heaven. I imagine Jesus weeping there because some of them had forgotten those things. I imagine Jesus weeping because some of them were bound by their own fear instead of understanding they were free. And in verse number 35, the Bible says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Sound familiar? Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Notice here what the Bible says. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Martha, move the stone. Lord, you don't understand. In that cave right there, he stinks. He's dead. Continue reading with me if you would. Jesus said, verse number 39, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee upon thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. They may believe that thou hast sent me. And when thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You see, in this portion of Scripture, it's an amazing thing as the, the man is dead and Jesus walks onto the scene. He sees the fear. He sees the heartache. He sees all that's going on. And it says, Jesus wept. And I imagine that their mind had to have flooded back to this portion of Scripture as you begin to think about all this taking place. And Jesus is now dead in the tomb, supposedly. He, he's not going to rise in their mind. They cannot comprehend all of this. But surely if Jesus can raise a man from the dead, He can raise Himself from the dead. And Jesus comes onto the scene and Martha says, Lord, he stinketh. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. 
I love this story. I begin to picture this story and all that is going on. And as I begin to think about this, I'm reminded of what's taking place in chapter number 23. And in chapter number 23, you begin to see that hope seems as though it's dim and there seems to be no joy. It seems to be tears and weeping. And in verse number 39, it says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save us and thyself. You begin to think about all that is being said to him. In chapter number 23 and chapter number 24, Though chapter number 23 might be a portion of Scripture that seems dark, I want you to notice some things that are found in chapter number 23 and chapter number 24 that I pray would be a great reminder to us as we rejoice in a risen Savior. Number one, if you would, notice these three things will be done this morning. Number one, the power of the cross. As Jesus is hanging on the cross in verse number 46, 47, 48, and 49, the Bible says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, He glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to the side, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. There are certain things in life that you will begin to experience just because you're present and you'll see certain things. You'll say, that was a powerful moment. Just the other day, I was uh, looking at a video and there was a video of a young boy that was playing baseball and the team was trying to get him to choke up on the bat. And he wasn't choking up on the bat, he just kept swinging, he kept missing, and the catcher begins to stand up, and the catcher begins to move the young boy's hands, and begins to, to help him, and the boy swings on that third pitch and hits the ball. And that was a moment where you would look back and you'd say, man, that was a, that was a powerful moment, that's a great moment right there. Some of you experienced the moment whenever you had your first child, or your second or third, or whatever, and you begin to hold that baby, you think, man, that is a powerful moment holding this child. You begin to think about services that you've been in and maybe you knew of a situation where two people were mad at each other and all of a sudden those two people come in an old-fashioned altar and they get things right and you say, man, that was a powerful moment. And you begin to think about certain powerful moments in your own life and things that are seeing and you begin to see in this portion of Scripture, this is a powerful moment. And the power of the cross is seen as you begin to see victory right here. And right at this very moment, you might be wondering, how do you see victory? There's no victory. He's dead. How do you see victory right now? You see victory because in John chapter number 3, verse number 16, we're reminded of the victory that is found in Jesus Christ alone. You see, in John chapter number 3, verse number 16, you see the source of salvation being God. For God, that's where it starts. This morning you've come to the house of God and you're wondering about your salvation or you're doubting your salvation or you know that you're not saved. You're saying, God could never save a sinner like me. Yes, He could because He saved me. He saved others that are here this morning. And as you begin to think about that, you've come and you're doubting, you're wondering, or you know that you're not saved. Could I share with you that God is the source of salvation? You see, the scope of salvation, the scope of salvation is the world. For God so loved the world. That is the scope. He didn't die just for some. He died for all. And there's religions out there being taught today that Jesus Christ only died for certain individuals. That's a bunch of hogwash is what that is. He died for the entire world. For God so loved the world. You see the source, you see the scope, you see the sacrifice that He gave His only begotten Son. His only Son. I remember listening to a preacher. 
And as he was preaching on the death of Jesus Christ, he began to talk about John chapter number 3, verse number 16, and how oftentimes in our own lives we begin to question God if He could provide for us, if He could really take care of us. And the preacher goes on and begins to talk about this, and he very simply illustrates it this way, I gave you my son. Imagine those words for just a moment. If the Lord were standing right before you, right this very moment, and you begin to question if He can provide for you, and He just looked at you and said, I gave you my Son. Yeah, I know, Lord, but can you provide? I gave you my Son. I, I, I get what you're saying, Lord, but can you provide? I gave you my Son. Can He provide? He gave His only begotten Son to provide the salvation that you and I are in need of, and the security of that salvation is found in everlasting life. You see, the power of the cross is seen in the victory that we find here in the death of Jesus Christ. And this victory is something that we get to rejoice in. If you've come to the house of God and you're wondering, can I be saved? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory. You can't work your way there. The religions that say, hey, if you're a good enough person, you'll get there one day. No, no, no. You can't be good enough. That's the point. If you thought you could have lost your salvation, then you've already lost it at that point. You can't obtain it within the works that you do. The Bible goes on to say in Romans 5.8, but God commendeth His love toward us. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace. And so you're sitting here and you're saying, so they killed Him, they, they took His life. No, no, no. Matter of fact, we find in John chapter number 10, verse number 18, that the Bible says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. I love that verse. Oh, I love that verse. People say, oh, they, they, they took his life. No, 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 he freely gave it for you and for me. You see, the power of the cross is seen here. As you begin to see the power of the cross, you begin to see the truth that is found in that power and the victory that is found in the statements that are made by these individuals. Notice with me in verse number 47. This is a powerful moment. The centurion saw what was done. He glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. You're saying that the man who is standing there and watching Jesus Christ die, you're talking about the centurions that you were saying were finally pleased that the day was over because their job was done. Then he said, what? Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 54, the Bible goes on to say, Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God powerful moment. The power of the cross. You see the crowd here in verse number 48. The Bible says, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. That smoting of the breast speaks of a, an expression of remorse for what they had done. What have we done? Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord, I would never do such a thing. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord, I would die for you. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter denies the Lord the first time. Cock crows. Peter denies the Lord the second time. The cock crows. The third time, the cock crows. And all of a sudden, you begin to experience and see that Peter is facing some remorse. What have I done? 
What have I done? The crowd is sitting here watching everything that is going on and they smote their breasts and returned. What have we done? The centurion is saying, surely this was the Son of God. They're saying, what have we done? Continue looking with me if you would. In verse number 49, you see those who were following and all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. Statement, beholding these things, means to care for, to look on, if you would. Can I illustrate it for you for just a moment? They're standing there. Jesus Christ is standing on the cross. He's just given up the ghost. Maybe you've been there before. A situation where you're just, you're numb. Standing there and they're beholding these things. What's just happened? How did we get here? Imagine with me the first night that they go to sleep. Could you even go to sleep? The visualization of seeing that and going through that and they're beholding these things. And it speaks of the, the, the power of the cross. You begin to see the, the burial of Christ, though, in verse number 50. You begin to see the process about which was taking place. And the Bible says at the end of verse number 56, it says, They returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. So you begin to see the burial of Christ. You see, this is, this is in, in all ways, whenever someone has passed away, we understand we're not seeing them for a while. It's going to be a little while if they're a child of God. And you begin to think about that as they're, they're experiencing all this, and, and as they're, they're thinking about all this, they're thinking, man, where is he? We won't see him. But I'm here to remind you, as they were reminded, that though other men might have died and passed and they didn't see them, Jesus wasn't just another man. He was a different individual. And in chapter number 50, uh, 24, you begin to see not only the burial of Christ, but you see the truth about the resurrection. Notice with me, at the very beginning you see this, and this is where we, we understand if all else fails, if we, if we don't have a resurrected Savior, then the gospel is a lie. If we don't have a resurrected Savior, then salvation is not possible. If we don't have a, a resurrected Savior, then we have no point in meeting here this morning. But in chapter number 24, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. I'll tell you what, whenever I read chapter number 24, I just get stirred up. That's one of those things that you could read it over and over and over again, and you just get excited about it. It's kind of like, as a parent, whenever your child begins to say, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Mama. You don't want it to stop, do you? Say it as much as you want. Say it as often as you want. Now, some of you have children that are out of the house and oh, what you would give for them to just look at you and say, hey, I love you. You begin to think about all that. Verse number 3, And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. The truth about the resurrection, number one, the truth, number one, is the tomb was empty. Can I share with you the tomb is still empty? The word perplexed speaks of entirely at a loss. You see, they had come prepared with traditional burial spices to anoint the Lord's body. And, and how often we all forget, but they had forgot everything that had taken place and everything that the Lord had said. Matter of fact, in Matthew 12, verse number 40, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
John 10, 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Truth number one, the tomb was empty. Truth number two, Notice with me, if you would, the angels began to testify of what is taking place. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? I love that question right there. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you where he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise again. The angels begin to testify. Oh, how easily you have forgotten all that he had said. As a matter of fact, he told you that he would be delivered in the hands of the sinful man and be crucified in the third day. Rise again. Verse number 8 says, and they remembered his words. You begin to see the women's witness here. They begin to remember and return from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 3, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you the first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. This morning, you've come to the house of God. You begin to see Peter's wonder and amazement as you continue reading. Maybe you have forgotten the simple truth. As I was talking to my brother-in-law and sent that text message, he said, it's, the message is simple. He's risen. You know, Easter Sunday, is a, it's, a, it's a different Sunday. Easter Sunday is not like even other Sundays or other days of the week. You don't wake up. At least I don't. I don't wake up and think, oh, another day. Matter of fact, it's not a struggle to wake up. And there's an there's a excitement building up. And Easter Sunday's here and whew, we serve a risen Savior. You just wake up with a smile on your face. You just start walking around places. Why are you smiling? Oh, he's, he's risen. What's wrong with you? He's risen. You're just walking around. Smile on your face. There's something weird about you. Yeah, he's risen. You know, you just... It can't get you down. I could drive home and, you know what, last time I did that, Miss Rebecca was, was the one who ended up having the, I said something about someone could drive home and their car wouldn't start, and that very night, Miss Rebecca's car didn't start. I'm not going to do that again. Let me rewind for just a moment. But you could drive home and something happened. But he's risen. Praise the Lord. Can I share with you this morning, maybe you've come here and maybe you're struggling because of circumstances. Maybe you're struggling concerning salvation. You don't know if you're saved. But you say, what's all of this? Man, y'all, y'all get so excited about Easter Sunday. And let me just say this. If you're a child of God and you don't get excited about Easter some, Sunday, something's wrong. You ought to rejoice. You ought to get stirred up. You ought to be excited at the very simple fact that, hey, we don't serve a God like other gods. He is a risen God. This morning, as you come to the house of God, I encourage you to look at the power of the cross. Powerful moment as they're looking there. Centurion says this was the Son of God. Mary and all of those that were around beholding these things. The individuals who cried, crucify Him, crucify Him, smote their breasts. And began to go their separate ways. 
acknowledging what have we done? How did it get this far? You begin to close out chapter number 23 thinking, man, all hope is gone. Up from the grave he arose. Chapter number 24 comes and he's risen. Can I share with you this morning, rejoice with me and others that you serve a risen Savior. Praise the Lord. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, Lord, I do pray that they get that settled this morning. Lord, far too often we live in chapter number 23 and we don't truly walk into chapter number 24 with the excitement and understanding that He is risen. So Lord, this morning I pray that You would help us to rejoice in that. I pray that You'd guide us and direct us. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.